Yeah, that'll be good. Um, so I flew back last night, and one of the things I I think I was thinking I was like, it's like probably like only the the like second or third time I've ever flown by myself. Um, normally I always fly with Craig, so um, I had to. And I know it sounds dumb, but I had to kind of navigate the airport by myself. And I'm always like, what if I get on the wrong plane? What if I, like, you know? And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're 40-something years old. And, and I can't tell you how old I am because I lie about my age all the time. So I honestly couldn't really remember off the top of my head. Um, but I'm like, you know, I'm 40-something. And I was just like, oh, you can't be this, this terrible. Like, um, and I hate wearing stupid face masks on the plane. Like, oh. Honestly, it, does, it was not fun, but I got here and that was all good. But, but I discovered something that, like, I mean, when Craig goes away, you know, when he's ministering away somewhere, I miss him. I do. I, I miss him. And then even though it was literally, it's going to be like 24 hours because he flies back in the, um, this afternoon and he'll be here for tonight. But I was like, I really missed him. And I think it's a, a little bit, it's a, it's a byproduct of the whole COVID thing, right? Like, I don't know about you guys, but I am not... A touchy-feely person, right? So um, I always find it a struggle to have to hug people. But what I've noticed about myself is that since COVID, I'm a lot more easier about hugging people than I ever used to be. And I think it's one of those things like in that four weeks, now I'll admit it wasn't that bad for me. I read 56 novels. Um, our bank balance didn't appreciate that. But I, you know, I, I read 56 novels in, in the four-week lockdown. But I missed people, right? I, I honestly did. I missed people more than I thought I would. I missed just hanging out with people. I, I missed, I missed that, that conversation. And the, thing, the other thing that I missed is, is I missed that, that hug and that touch, which for me I found kind of odd because, like I said, I'm not really a huggy, touchy person. You know, if somebody goes in for a hug, I'm normally going to stick out my hand. Um, you know, I have, I have personal space. Why are you invading it? But now I, I seem to be in this place where I, I kind of don't mind, and the only thing I can put it down to is the whole lockdown got me missing people. There, there was distance, and I didn't like it. And if you have been following along in the series, uh, you know, that we've been doing in, in the book of James, the start of the book of James in chapter 1 actually says that he's writing this letter to the people who are scattered abroad. So there was He's writing a letter to people who were at a distance, right? He's writing this letter to people who weren't together anymore. And I think what you have to understand is that in the context of Scripture, because there is this distance, they were missing stuff. And I'm going to pick it up in chapter 4 of James's letter. And this distance has been causing separation anxiety, right? And they're doing some things that were out of character, things that they didn't do before. Now, if you've been part of this series and been listening along each week, you'll know that James is pretty blunt, right? But I've got to warn you, he's savage now. Chapter 4, he is downright savage. So if you are a sensitive person, I recommend you close your eyes and block your ears because this, this is going to offend on some level, right? I tried to find the nicest version to be able to read this in. All right, so here goes. It's a, it's a big passage. What is the cause of conflicts and quarrels with each other? Doesn't the battle begin inside of you as you fight to have your own way and fulfill your own desires? You jealously want what others have, so you begin to see yourself as better than others. You scheme with envy and harm others to selfishly obtain what you crave. That's why you quarrel and fight. And all the time you don't obtain what you want, 
because you won't ask God for it. And if you ask, you won't receive it because you're asking with corrupt motives, seeking only to fulfill your own selfish desires. You have become spiritual adulterers who are having an affair, an unholy relationship with the world. Don't you know that flirting with the world's values places you at odds with God? Whoever chooses to be the world's friend makes himself an enemy, a God's enemy. Does the scripture mean nothing to you that says the spirit, of, the spirit that God breathed into our hearts is a jealous lover who intensely desires to have more and more of us? But he continues to pour out more and more grace upon us. For it says, God resists you when you are proud, but continually pours out grace when you are humble. So then surrender to God, stand up to the devil and resist him, and he will flee in agony. Move your heart closer and closer to God, and he will come even closer to you. But make sure you cleanse your life, you sinners, and keep your heart pure and stop doubting. Feel the pain of your sin, be sorrowful and weep. Let your joking around be turned into mourning and your joy into deep humiliation. Be willing to be made low before the Lord and he will exalt you. Dear friends, as part of God's family, never speak against another family member. For when you slander a brother or a sister, you violate God's law of love. And your duty is not to make yourself a judge of the law of love by saying that it doesn't apply to you, but your duty is to obey it. There is only one true lawgiver and judge, the one who has the power to save and destroy. So who do you think you are to judge your neighbor? It's kind of brutal, right? It's pretty, he's pretty savage. And he starts off the thought, starts off this chapter with the thought that, guys, I know that we're separated. And I can hear, and I know that you guys are fighting, you're bickering, you're complaining against one another. And the thing that you have to understand is he's not concerned so much with who is right or wrong. He's not addressing the rightness or the wrongness of what you're arguing and bickering and complaining about. What he is concerned about is the bitterness of your spirit and the selfishness of your spirit and the fact that you're actually quarreling. Have you ever had someone talk about you behind your back? You know, they're nice as pie to your face and then you, you, you leave the room and then they start talking about you behind your back and somebody will come along eventually and tell you what's happened. Have you ever had that happen? Like three of you? Ex okay, well, great for the rest of you. That's awesome. You see, these guys weren't just leaving the room and they weren't doing it behind their backs. They were literally doing it in front of each other, but they were leaving the region, right? So there is this distance they are hearing stuff, they're saying stuff, they're talking about stuff, and the people are arguing, and they're bickering, and they're complaining. And you know how they have that saying that distance, you know, makes the heart grow fonder? In actual fact, quite often, distance makes your heart grow harder. You see, because what I have found when we have distance is that distance just doesn't make you miss. It can make you misinterpret. It can make you misconstrue. You can misunderstand. You can misappreciate things. There is misdiagnosis going on. You can misbehave. There can be misjudgment, right? All of this stuff happens when there's distance. Have you guys ever played the telephone game? Now, I know, I know if you've grown up in a digital age, you probably haven't played the telephone game because you actually have to be in person. It's like musical chairs. Do they even play that? Because you can't play musical chairs on Zoom. Like, it just doesn't work, because everyone's got their own chair. But, so the telephone game is one where you have a whole lot of people, and everyone's lined up. And the person at the start goes, and they whisper in the, into the person's ear, and they say, 
I want to take Dan some lunch. And then the next person whispers it, and they whisper it, and it goes down the line until finally at the end the person goes, we're going to Domino's for lunch. And the person inside goes, no, I, I said I was going to take Dan some lunch. That's what happens, right? When you hear things and you repeat things, and then you're going to add a little flavor, maybe not on purpose, but the person before you, they added a little something. And so as the information gets passed on, you can misinterpret. You can misunderstand. What ends up hearing about is not actually what was done at the start. You see, and James is talking to a bunch of people who are missing. They are misunderstanding some stuff. They're seeing some stuff that is happening. They're hearing about some things, uh, and, but they're missing it. So I watch, I watch a lot of league because my nephew plays league and he's becoming famous. He's now signed up to, to the Roosters, got signed to them when he was 15. So we watch a lot of sport, right? Watch league. I try to watch rugby. Um, I don't really understand it because it looks really messy to me. Um, and I love it when Lance talks to me about it because I don't understand half of what he's saying, but I just nod and smile. I do better when we switch, switch codes. But one of the things I have noticed, regardless of whether it's league or rugby, even soccer, because, you know, Maddie, Maddie played soccer, is that the closer you are to the goal, right, the more accurate you are. But the further away you are from the goal, the accuracy of your shots begins to, to lessen. It's like the closer you are to a person, the more accurate it is to understand, right? Like Craig does this thing. He comes in from work and he'll put his stuff, he'll take his shoes off, throw his stuff on the bench, and the whole time he's talking to me, because I'll say, hey, how was your day? And so he starts talking. Yeah, yeah, my day was good, and you know, and I just had this problem, and uh, 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 that's it. And I'll be like, because he's wandered up the hallway. I'm like, what? <laughs> and then he'll, uh, so you know, and that's what I decided to do about that. Huh? I, I didn't understand the bit in the middle. Oh, that's because you're deaf. No, that's because you're walking away from me, right? And that's what happens. If I want to understand what it is he's talking about, I have to get up and I have to follow him. Because he won't stop talking. I, I say to him, can you wait till, I come, till you come back? He won't. He'll just keep talking. So I, I've learned. I've got to get up and I've got to follow him while he does whatever he's doing and listening to him so I can actually understand accurately what he's saying. Do you know our life in general is actually like that? You know, sometimes the more space we have creates more opportunities to miss what's going on. And this is what James is saying in his letter. He's saying, guys, I can't change the fact that we are separated. I can't change the fact that I am here and you guys are way over there, like you're scattered abroad across the whole of, the, of, of you know, what was wrong by that stage. He said, I can't do that, but we've got to find a way to close the distance. We've got to find a way so that our physical distance isn't actually a barrier to us. You see, because it is actually possible for us to be here, for him to be here, and for them to be way over there, and for you guys to actually have the same spirit. It is possible that while there is distance, that we can still have the same mind, that we can have a unified voice and a unified vision. One of the things, if you've been in our church long enough, you will know is that we're planning to plant campuses. One of the things that we've been talking about a lot is how do we ensure that even though geographically the campus could be in the South Island or wherever, that we had the same mind, we had the same spirit, we had the same unity. Because if we don't close the distance, 
we find out that we are not appreciating things as, as much as we should. There's a lot of misappreciation going on. And he starts off the chapter with this group of people because he's noticing that that's what they're doing. There's a lot of misappreciation going on. You see, they're listening and they're hearing and they're talking about what is happening in this region and what's happening there and who's saying what and who's getting to minister to who. And he's talking about all of this sort of stuff. But what's happening is that people are starting to participate in a lot of grumbling and a lot of complaining and a lot of moaning and a lot of whinging. But what it all really boils down to is that people are not focused on what is in front of them. They're too busy focused on what's out there. It's like with Instagram, which is really actually Insta-fake. It really is, right? Because you see these great photos of these people, and it's perfect. The photo is amazing. They took 15 shots to get that one perfect picture, right? You see people out on, on, on you know, vacation or holidays or hanging out with their family, and everyone's all smiles and yeah, you knew five minutes beforehand that they were yelling and screaming at each other. I have, we, every year we take this photo with the grandkids for my mum. So it's all the grandkids, right? Do you know how long and how hard it is to get that one photo? It can take a good half an hour because someone's moaning about this and someone's crying about that, right? But that's not what we see. We live in a society where we are constantly looking at what other people are posting. We're looking at what other people are doing. We look at what people are buying. And if we're not careful we'll actually begin to have a sense of misappreciation for our own life. See, James starts off and he's like, what is the cause of conflicts and quarrels with each other? Doesn't the battle begin inside of you? I love what James is saying here. He's saying it's not about them. Because that's what we do. We read a passage of scripts like that that's a bit blunt and a bit hurtful and a bit savage. And we don't think about it in terms of ourselves. We think about it in terms of them. You know, them that hurt you, them that betrayed you, them that said that thing about you, them that disrespected you, them that's got that thing that you really want, them that's got that life that you want to have, that kind of thing that you've been dreaming about, somebody else who's got it, we think about them. But James is saying, let's not focus on them Let's focus on you, because it's about you. The battle is inside of you, not the battle inside of them. You have to fight your own way and fulfill your own desires. You jealously want what others have, so you begin to see yourself as better than others. You scheme with envy and harm others to selfishly obtain what you crave. That's why you quarrel and fight. And all the time you don't obtain what you want because you won't ask God for it. And if you ask, you won't receive it because you're asking with corrupt motives, seeking to fulfill your own selfish desires. See, being distant from people makes it a bit easier to take your eyes off what you have. You see, we look at other people, and I've been doing it myself. So Rochelle, Chris, our drummer's mom, she is, at the moment, ticky-toying through America, having a great time. Like, her photos, and there's a little bit of me that's like, damn, I want to do that. I want to go and see those places. I want to go and eat that burger. I want to have that hot dog. I want to go and watch that game. Like, you know, I wish I could do that. Or you're seeing people who've got a new job, and you're like, oh, I wish I had a job. You know, I got laid off for my job. Why can't I have a job? 
Or you've seen people whose marriages look really good and you're like, my marriage doesn't look like that. And, and so, you know, and admittedly, you know, a lot of people through the lockdown was really hard because suddenly you have to spend 24 hours a day for this person who normally they go off to work for a good eight hours, so you have a break. And now you're with them all the time and there's things about them that are bugging you and, you know, you, got, you can't give them back anymore because, you know, the 30-day guarantee return policy has expired and now they're stuck with you. We start seeing what other people have, we get frustrated. You know, so-and-so just got a new car. Well, I need a new car. Well, so-and-so just got a new purse, and well, I need a new purse. And, and she's wearing a new outfit, and I need a new outfit. And if we're not careful, we begin to misappreciate everything. And if we're not gonna be like that, we have to learn to close the distance, right? So how do we close the distance like that? How do we stop that from happening? How do we stop misappreciating things? You have to focus on what you have, and then you have to fight to stay thankful. You need to focus on what you have, and you have to fight to stay thankful. And it is a fight. It's not just something you can do easily. You know what, I may not have a car, or I may not have that car, that nice car, but you know what, at least I still have a car, and it does get me from point A to point B. Because at the end of the day, third class driving is better than first class walking, right? You know? I may not have that kind of marriage, but you know what, at least we're still together. And, and we can work on that. My kids may not be getting straight A's, but at least they're in the house of God. And they're worshipping God. And they're serving God. You know? My health may be failing, but at the moment, I, I can still breathe. I've still got air in my lungs. We've got to start focusing on what you do have. I have air in my lungs. I have friends and family who love me. I, I still have the ability to meet here in New Zealand. We are so lucky. We can still go and hang out with our friends. We can still go and see our family. We need to be start having thankfulness. You see, the Bible says it like this in 1 Thessalonians 5, um, verses 16 to 18. Let joy be your continual feast. Make your life a prayer. And in the midst of everything, be always giving thanks. For this is God's perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. You see, joy isn't based on your circumstances, but it's based in God. You see, we don't give thanks for everything, but in everything. So that means that when things, uh, circumstances aren't looking so good, when things aren't going so well, when the doctor's given you a bad health report, when you're getting laid off, when you're struggling to find somewhere to live, when you're struggling to find stuff, we still give thanks in everything because we know that God's sovereign hand is in charge. You see, it isn't easy to have joy, to pray, and to give thanks, but we do it because it's God's will. We do it because giving thanks prevents bitterness. It prevents envy and jealousy. When I'm thankful for what I do have, I can celebrate you with what you have. But when I am unhappy, when I don't give thanks for what I have, I'm mad about what you have, and I can't celebrate with you. See, there's nothing worse than grumpy, envious, bitter, jealous Christians. We are supposed to be the salt and light. We are supposed to give thanks in all things. And when you do that, when you begin to give thanks in all things, your life becomes a prayer. The thing you have to remember is that there's someone who's praying for what you already have. That thing that you wish you didn't have, there's someone who's praying for that. There's someone who is praying for what you already have. You know, 
I'm so sick of my son because, you know, he's stepping on my last nerve. There's actually someone who's praying for a son. There's even people who have lost their son. My job, you've got to understand, my job does not appreciate me. My boss does not treat me very well. It's been five years. I don't have a pay rise. There are some people who are praying, God, can I get a job? You know this dumb car of mine? Lord, can I have a car? You know, it's interesting. You know, you see people and they're, you see people and they're off having this great time, this great holiday with their family, and, and, you know, we see it on Instagram, but what we neglect to think about is the fact that my family is here with me in the house. I'm thankful for my family because they're all here. We've got to close the distance because someone is praying for what you have. And see, and that's what's happening in this context in James. People are just arguing, and they're complaining, and they're fighting. And James is like, guys, they are not the problem. Stop spending your energy on looking at what they're posting, looking at what they're saying, looking at what they're doing and the choices that they're making. You know what? You can't change them, but you can change you, right? James says it's like this, picking it up in verse 4. He says, you... So remember, first of all, he's talking about you, not them, right? It's all about me. It's all about yourself. You have become spiritual adulterers who are having an affair, an unholy relationship with the world. Don't you know that flirting with the world's values places you at odds with God? That's really interesting because what he doesn't say is he doesn't go, don't you know that sinning like crazy places you at odds with God? He doesn't say, you know, taking pee and becoming a drug addict places you... Uh, you know, at odds with God. He doesn't say cheating on your spouse. He doesn't say, you know, getting into pornography or anything like that. None of that puts you at odds with God. What puts you at odds with God is flirting with the world's values, taking on the identity of the culture, and letting the world's systems and the world's values infiltrate your thinking, making you change your appearance on things. I actually have these conversations quite often. I hear people say this quite often, and they'll go like, well, you know, I read this New Age thing, and I actually quite like what they're saying, and I, I, they actually make sense to me, and I think that that's what we need to be looking into. That's culture. That's not kingdom. You know? It's, I heard so, you know, I, I listened to, you know, on, on Facebook, there was a clip, and I watched this video clip, and, you know, they, they made some really good points, and the church needs to be more progressive, because if they were, then we could talk to more people about Jesus. That's culture. That's not kingdom. That's not what we do. You know, it was a really good speech. We should really start to listen to so some of the wisdom that, that these, these worldly scholars have. That's culture. That's not kingdom. And we are kingdom people. We serve a king. James says, if you start flirting with the world's values, and, and by flirting with it, that's not even buying into it fully. That's not doing everything that they tell you. That, that's not even signing yourself up to something. But if you start flirting with the world's values, they're going to start to change the way that you think. They're going to change the way that you look at things. And what he's saying is if you start doing that, you start taking on the world's values, you become a friend of the world. And that makes you God's enemy. Does the scripture mean nothing to you, it says? The spirit that God breathed into our hearts is a jealous lover who intensely desires to have more and more of us. 
You see, God in heaven came to earth in the, in the form of Jesus, in flesh, and he really, really wants a relationship with you. And that can't happen if you're continually flirting with the world, if you're taking on the world's values. Now, I promise you, he still wants a relationship with you, but it can't happen when you've got a relationship going on with the world. Now, I understand that it can be quite easy to, to think to yourself, um, you know, I've got a... Sorry. Uh, when you think to yourself, I've got to get along with the world and I've got to understand what the world's saying and I need to start looking at other people and we start looking at other people and we can start passing judgment on other people. Do you know what I've realised in my life? I don't have time to diagnose what's going wrong in your life when I have enough of my own to deal with. Is it fair to say that you've conquered every single sin in your life? Is it fair to say that you have mastered every sin? Because I know that I haven't mastered everything. There are things I still struggle with. And I think if anybody believes that they have mastered everything, you're fooling yourself. It doesn't mean that I'm neglecting those areas. It doesn't mean that I agree with them. It doesn't mean that I'm still uh, I'm in agreement or I think those things are okay or they're little and I can pass them by and, and still have them in my life. There are things I'm still working on. There are selfish motives I know I have that I need to work on. But can I give you some advice? If you're spending all your time looking at other people and saying what they've got wrong, what they're doing wrong, what they need to fix and what they need to change, you don't have enough time to look at yourself. You have to be able to worry about yourself. I, I, don't, I don't worry too much about what's going on in your world. I've got to worry about myself. I have my own insecurities to deal with. I've got my own issues going on. I have my own disobedience I have to work through. I don't have time to worry about yours. Matthew 7, 3 puts it like this. But why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? Why worry about a speck, the issue, the tiny thing that's going on in their life when you have this massive log sticking out of your own eye? What I find really interesting about us as people is we are far more tolerant of our own sin than we are of somebody else's, right? So how do we close the distance here? How do we stop that from happening? Do you know what we do? We get low. We stay down. James chapter, six, or James chapter 4 verse 6 says, But he continues to pour out more and more grace upon us. For he says, God resists you when you are proud, but he continually pours out grace when you are humble. Being proud doesn't mean that you make bad decisions. Being proud just means you think you've got this. You know what? I got this, God. I know what I'm doing, God. I have read enough scriptures, God. I, I don't need your help. I, I know what I'm doing. I've got my own boundaries set up in, in place for my life. I'm okay. You know, you know God, I, I, I got my degree in business, so I actually don't need your help. I, I know what I'm doing with the business. I'm, I'm really good about this, God. And you know what? I'm not going to have any problems with my kids because I'm not going to raise them the way my parents raised me. So my kids are going to be fine. They're going to be all good because, you know, God, I've got this. That's proud. That's what pride is. When you're prideful... The Bible says that God resists you, but he pours out, our, pours out grace when you get low, when you get humble. So then surrender to God, but stand up to the devil and resist him, and he will flee in agony. I love that. He will flee in agony. Not just he will flee, but he will flee in agony. And after all the crap that he's poured into my life, I like the fact that we're going to dish it back. Move your heart closer and closer to God, and he will come even closer to you but make sure you cleanse your life you sinners and keep pure 
keep your heart pure and stop doubting. Get low and then stand up. I realize this about a lot of Christians and I realize this about myself that I've discovered and I have to keep checking myself quite often when this happens and I have to watch because it can happen quite easily. And instead, I kind of get this whole thing muddled up and I find myself afraid of the enemy. And I find myself going, just stop, devil. Just, just give me a break. Just, you know, I, I, just, I just, you know, can you just stop? Because I can't take it anymore. Like, I, I'm, really, I'm really struggling now. Like, like devil, just, just leave me alone for a little bit. Just for a few, you know, just a week. Just like, I don't want to see any of that stuff on my computer. Or, or I don't want to have another argument with my family. Like, God, can you, like, G, uh, devil, just get off. Or just, just stop. And then when God comes along, I do this. I've got this, God. Don't worry about it. I'm all good. Now, I know what I'm doing. I, I don't need any help because, you know, I read the scripture and I know what the scripture says. I've got this knowledge, so I'm all good, God, so don't worry about it. And what we're doing is we're standing up to God, but we're getting low in front of the devil. You see, that's not what we're supposed to do. This is what we're supposed to do. God... I can't do this without you. Like, I'm not some, I, I, know, I know I've got some talent, but I'm not, I'm not that talented. I'm not that smart. I, I need some help in this. You know, I, I need to be, I need some help to be the best mom. Because, you know, my kids are going through some stuff, and I don't know what to say to them. And, you know, God, God I want to I wanna have a really good marriage, but, you know, there's some things I'm struggling with. God, I just... Can you just give me some help? Can you just give me the right words to say? Can you open my mind to see things from their perspective, God? Because we need help. Because we need to get low. And then when the devil comes, that's a devil, I've had enough. You will get your hands off my child. You will get your hands off my son. You will get your hands off my relationship. You will just move yourself out of here because I am a child of the Most High God and I stand on the authority that Jesus has given me because I has made me to be the head and not the tail. So you can just flee. You can just be gone from here now because this is my family and we are covered in the blood of Jesus and you have no rights. You have no authority to step in here. That's how we do this. But too often, we do it the other way, right? Too often, we go the other way. You see, grace and pride are actually eternal enemies. Pride demands that God bless me in light of my merits, whether they're, they're real or imagined. But grace will not deal with you on the case of what you have done or what you haven't done. Grace deals with you on the basis of who God is. And who he is, is one who gives freely. Your humility isn't something that will earn you the grace of God. Your humility puts you in a position to be able to receive his grace, to be able to receive from him. In light of the grace that he has offered to us when we are humble, there's only one thing we can do, which is submit to God. This means to order yourself, to make yourself go under God, to surrender to him as a conquering king and receive all the benefits that come with his reign. Can I just get the band up? I just got one last thought I wanted to finish on. James chapter four, verse 11. Dear friends, as part of God's family, never speak against another family member. For when you slander a brother or sister, you violate God's law of love. And your duty is not to make yourself a judge of the law of love by saying that it doesn't apply to you. But your duty is to obey it. 
There is only one true lawgiver and judge, the one who has the power to save and destroy. Who do you think you are to judge your neighbor? You see, when we humble ourselves, when we get right with God, the result of that is we get right with one another. We get right with other people. And how do we know that you're right with other people? It will show up in the way that you talk about them. It will show up in the way that you talk about them. So how do we close the distance? We stick to loving people and we leave the judging to him. Now, I realize that it's easier to hold people to a standard, right? But I realize that God doesn't want me to judge people when they're having trouble, when they're struggling, when they can't quite get themselves through a situation in their life. What God wants me to do is he wants me to love them through it, right? Love them through the issues, love them through the things that they're facing. When there's distance, one of the things that I think that happens, particularly for Christians, is that we end up by misjudging God. I mean, we misjudge each other, but we actually misjudge God. We do that a lot. The world does that a lot, and we take on what the world says. You see, James, James did that. Now, some of you may not realize this, but the writer of this book of James was actually Jesus' brother, like his real brother same mom and theologians and scholars all agree that James was at odds with Jesus for most of his life he made fun of his brother didn't get along too well it wasn't until after Jesus died and rose again that James had a bit of a revelation and what James is saying is that it is possible to miss him and to really miss him right we can, can miss him because his presence isn't here, but we can miss him by misjudging him. And I think if all of us are honest, there are parts of us who, who do miss him. And there are parts of us who really misjudge him. And we think to ourselves, I don't, I don't think he would want me because I just screwed up. I did, I did all this stuff wrong. Or, you know, I've, uh, the way I've been living my life, you know, is not reflective of a Christian. So, so you know, Jesus doesn't actually want me. Jesus doesn't, doesn't want me here. And we think to ourselves, you know, when I look up at heaven, all I see is, is Jesus standing there with his arms folded. Or we think to ourselves that when he looks at us, he looks at us with, with condemnation in his gaze and disappointment because I, I screwed up again. But I can tell you that that's what distance does. It makes us miss. It makes us misunderstand. It makes us misconstrue. It makes us misjudge. That is not our God. That is not our Savior. That is not Jesus. And if you're willing to get close to him today, he will show you that you are loved. He'll show you that you are favored, that you are accepted, that you are called, that you are anointed. He'll show you that you had so much value that he would die for you. He is that good of a God. 